0: Hi, I'm JT Angstrom here with Melinda McLaughlin, VP of Research at Prologis. Melinda, thank you for joining us.
1: Thanks, JT. Happy to be here.
0: Now, I know Prologis does a lot of work in the logistics real estate space and your role is pretty unique within that operation. Can you talk to us a little bit about what you focus on and then also Prologis, their current operating environment and how they think about logistics real estate moving into the future?
1: Sure. Let me start with Prologis. Um, this company focuses 100% on the logistics real estate and specifically the consumption end of the supply chain. So my role within that as head of research is to make sure we stay ahead of what customers are doing, what they need, how that impact, impacts the logistics real estate business. So really tracking you know, all the different phases of supply chains and how it all comes together to really drive outcomes in this industry.
0: Yeah, that's tremendous. And so now in focusing on research, you're looking at trends and dynamics and ways to think through growing the business. Within that context, this year specifically is pretty unique, uh, to say the least. Um, Can you talk us through um, how you've seen changes in supply chains and subsequently inventory stocking requiring, obviously, real estate uh, interrelated to, you know, the pandemic and changing consumption patterns um, and and any anecdotal evidence or commentary you've heard from customers or seen through data. I think that'd be very interesting.
1: Yeah, absolutely. One of the best parts of being at Prologis is actually we have, first of all, a tremendous amount of proprietary data to draw on, especially helpful in a, a crisis or a severe disruption like what we went through this year. Um, in addition, all those proprietary relationships with customers, while we have over 5,000 of them, we obviously have really deep relationships with um, the top customers and can go to them and really talk through these trends. Um, so one way I like to think about 2020, you know, it's certainly been a year, but when I take a step back and I look at the way that the trends have uh, morphed over this time, there really is very little that's that's new new. A lot of these structural trends that were happening in supply chains predated the pandemic. So when we think about e-commerce, obviously that was very fast growing prior to the pandemic for natural reasons. There are convenience benefits. There are choice benefits. There's a reason consumers were buying more and more online before COVID-19. Additionally, you brought up inventories. So there's, you know, I think it's been more um, broadly talked about during COVID-19, but this retooling supply chains for resilience rather than efficiency was something, again, that predated the pandemic. And we really saw it start to accelerate um, with all the trade tensions that arose. Um, Because, you know, prior to that, you had these, you still had complex global supply chains, and there were disruptions, but they tended to be localized. So it would be a port strike here or a natural disaster over here, and you can work around that when you talk about an entire trade relationship, the UK and the EU, US, China, you know, that's not something that supply chains can easily work around. Um, So, you know, we do see customers, you know, this heightened focus on risk management is something that's really been building over time. And now with a truly global disruption, I think it's just taken the urgency level um, up a few notches.
0: Yeah, I would expect so. And and do you think that this period of time, to your point, e-commerce was also already a pretty significant secular trend. Do you think this period of time has further solidified e-commerce as um, a really core and critical element of the consumer spending dynamic? And, and if so, what does that mean, in your view, over the next five or so years for um, the positioning of, you know, inventory? Are, are there, Do you expect to see more? but smaller facilities closer to consumer population centers? Does the uh, sort of uh, historical notion of the massive centralized distribution center kind of go away? Um, how do you think about these dynamics in terms of uh, uh, the, the, the laying out of the supply chain for, for large conglomerates?
1: It's a great question and something we've been studying for quite some time. You know, e-commerce, again, not a new trend for the logistics real estate industry. And so let's go back. Is this pandemic, um, you know, does it solidify, I think, the status of e-commerce in the global economy, in the functioning of modern life? Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, there was, you know, when you look at the, the range of customers out there, particularly those engaged in the retail business, they were, you know, many of them were not able to generate revenue any other way, but through their supply chain and through this direct to consumer operation. Um, what happened really was COVID pulled a lot of adoption that, that would have happened and, and customers were frankly planning for over three to five to 10 years, but pulled it all into one year. So when we emerge from this crisis, you know, it's not like we go back on the trajectory that we were pre-COVID. A lot of that adoption stays and is persistent. So as a customer, you know, as you relook at your supply chain with a bit more certainty, you know, when some of this smoke clears—I mean, that literally, I'm in California—but you know, when you look at it and you have the confidence to make these long-term decisions you're going to be planning for an e-fulfillment operation that is significantly more important to your revenue stream than it was prior to COVID. And so let's talk about locations. There are a number of e-commerce distribution models. And yes, in the past, it tended to be very centralized. Um, there were laws uh, regarding you know, the collection of sales tax that that did incentivize that. But as businesses grew, you know, not only do you real- realize the benefits of scale as e-commerce growth, you're getting, you know, 20% or more of your revenues through online channels. And that's just for traditional retailers. We'll leave pure play e-commerce to the side for a second. Um, you need to really focus on that segment and make sure you're offering the service levels you need to gain market share. And that's really where this focus on location and getting close to end consumers comes in. It's E-commerce, yes, but is e-commerce in an age where delivery timelines are getting shorter and shorter and shorter? Um, so, you know, we can look around today and see consumers making a lot of accommodation. You know, I'll buy online pickup in store, something's out of stock, I'll wait a couple weeks. It's a pandemic and, and things are weird and I get that. Again, when things go back to normal, I think consumers will go back to expecting goods reliably. Um, to their doorstep and in shorter and shorter delivery timelines. And you frankly cannot achieve that without having facilities well positioned close to end consumers.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and let me take this question from the opposite direction. I think I don't think anyone in the audience would be surprised to hear a sentiment around a further solidifying of e-commerce. Now, if we were to to take the converse of the thought process being, for those who were late adopters or perhaps not full adopters of e-commerce prior to the pandemic, it's perhaps much clearer that they need to have a concerted and well-thought-out e-commerce strategy. If, if you were uh, speaking to an executive at one of these late adopters, what are sort of the things you would advise to be included in the thought process around developing that strategy from a supply chain and real estate component?
1: It's a great question. And I think one of the lessons here is when you weren't ready for that change, you lost, you know, you had lost revenue opportunities. So one, you know, taking a holistic view, there is an aspect of higher, at least logistics, real estate costs with building out a more decentralized networks. The closer in you get to end consumers, the more expensive the facility is, the more expensive the labor is. So you have to be ready for that. But the opportunity cost of missing out on those revenues and not being able to provide that service to your end consumer is, you know, far outweighs the additional expense. So I would say, one, take a holistic view of the situation. Two, you know, in that holistic view, there are ways to optimize transportation costs, which are a much bigger segment of supply chain costs with each node that you build out close to end consumers. So when you think about going direct to home, um, if you put a facility there, it's going to automatically shorten those trips rather than coming from outside the city center and you know having your vans do a long drive. So there are cost savings to be achieved through a decentralized network. Um, finally, you know we talked about retooling supply chains for resilience, and I think there's this misconception that you can put that excess inventory anywhere because it's buffer stock, but when you think about customers coming out of this crisis and facing the dual challenges of how do I build a resilient supply chain and how do I accommodate these persistently higher e-fulfillment volumes. If you can build out that last node, you're going to naturally be holding more inventory and you're going to be holding it close to end consumers. So really spreading that out. Finally, I would say, you know, there are experts in this field. I think what we've seen already in the pandemic is these short term you know supply chain issues where you have inventory coming in but you know your storefronts are closed the third party logistics companies you know we saw a lot of demand um from that segment because they're you know well positioned to to serve this exact need and to help plan for these kind of long term disruptions so you know bring in partners as needed
0: yeah yeah well positioned no pun intended um, yeah. there's a lot of phenomenal thoughts in in your response there I'm going to try to pick a few of the, a few highlights out. you manage so you managed an element of working capital associated with the different inventory stocking levels related to having forward position inventory. I think for an f p a manager at one of these retailers or, or some other consumer focused company that's, that's there's a large thought process there. You also mentioned a thought process around the ability to actually to have delivery mechanisms closer to the consumer to be able to adhere to you know timeliness of delivery. And our expectations are moving from this week to this day to this hour at some point. There might be within five minute delivery, who knows? Uh, nothing sort of seems unreasonable in terms of expectations at this point. Um, and 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 you started off by mentioning essentially that the management of not just your supply chain, but how you think about investing in your real estate, or perhaps not owning the real estate, but your, your, your real estate exposure, is, is no longer just a matter of stocking inventory, but it's actually a revenue mechanism, one that's strategic such that uh, it's important for distributing all of your goods, which are your consumers. And so I think in totality, that response is absolutely phenomenal. Um, what are some of the biggest concerns or challenges you see with with uh, customers or clients that you work with in and around these different areas? What are some of the biggest pain points? Some of the, some oh. of the, the the more challenging elements to address, uh, and, and you know, of course, I'm sure there's lingering questions which are, have been identified, but perhaps not yet fully answered.
1: Yeah. So on pain points, you know, one thing that has surprised me during this pandemic is you know, labor was the number one pain point heading into this. And obviously, we've all seen the statistics, you know, with unemployment and things like that, obviously very worrisome. We, we were kind of expecting labor to ease up uh, as a pain point, And instead, it's intensified. So take, you know, the fact that it is just difficult to find people, there's a lot of hiring in this space, the growing e-fulfillment, Volume, you know, um, operations are very labor intensive. So there's a lot of competition for kind of limited talent out there. And then you add on all the challenges that the people are facing today with childcare, illness, absenteeism. Um, so labor has, you know, actually, you know, become even more of a crucial pain point to customers. And so what you see, You know, be at least being discussed more, and I think you know as we get more certainty, um, will be put into action. Is how do we you know bring more transparency into the system? So investing in data, digitalization, um, possibly technologies. There are a lot of factors to consider, but you know we do see the autonomous mobile robot space, for example, because it's more flexible, because it's a labor augmentation um, technology. We see more and more customers looking to adopt that. and then you'll have all the the implications as far as you know protocols with cleaning distancing. Um, I think the real you know people side of the equation will be a key factor um, through you know the near term. So when you think about location selection, obviously making sure you have access to all the labor you need, either uh, volume, the right amount of density, the right population, um, and then the skill sets that you'll need, um, particularly as you, you know, maybe more technologies get adopted, you do need a different type of labor to to manage those operations.
0: Yeah, that's interesting that uh, the first thing that came to mind was labor. Um, it was a little <laughs> bit different than where we started off, but it, it's a really good one to point out, not only from a skill set perspective, but given that um, we're now in a pandemic period, if labor was already challenging, that's now going to be compounded. And, and interestingly, yeah. Despite where unemployment seems to be, with labor still being a challenge, that says a lot about the niche nature of, you know, warehousing-related labor uh, and and what that implies. Now, you mentioned another concept around automation in warehouses, which I think Mm -hmm. is an interesting one to talk about. Autonomous storage and retrieval systems are not new in warehousing, but I wouldn't say that they've been widely, fully, and completely broadly adopted um, are there interesting or innovative technologies that you see being applied that have helped alleviate some of these challenges around whether you want to categorize it as the need for flexibility or the need to alleviate labor intensity or um, the ability to maximize throughput, perhaps?
1: Yeah, no, it's a it's a good point. And ASRS, obviously, not new also not known for its flexibility. And, you know, everything we've been talking about today, we've seen these changes in supply chains, which do tend to take a lot of time, kind of speed up and speed up and speed up. So, you know, the idea of implementing and making a substantial investment in an inflexible technology is one of the key barriers here. It's a lot of risk, and and there certainly are uh, companies out there that can speak to bad experiences in the past. I think where we see, more excitement is, you know, anything that's mobile, anything that's um, augmenting, so augmenting your labor for higher productivity, um, the, you know, light systems that just help guide um, either people or vehicles there is, you know, one way I think the, the industry is adapting to both, you know, how do you reduce the upfront cost, and two, how do you actually deliver a technology that can help maximize productivity long-term while still remaining flexible.
0: So with that, Melinda, where where would you categorize which stage we're in within the automation adoption phasing? You know, I, this is a conversation that's been, uh, that the industry has been engaged in for some time, but despite the fact that it's been an open conversation for many years, I don't know that I would say that, you know, that the story is far from over. Um, I'd be interested to get your thoughts on that.
1: Yeah, I think overall what we see um, is we're definitely in the early stages where, you know, I think we're encouraged is there's a lot of innovation, I think, really really calibrated to the challenges that customers are facing today. So this very labor-intensive e-fulfillment operation that not only, you know, has those operational challenges, but kind of ever-increasing service levels. You see some innovation on the micro fulfillment space. Um, You see a lot, like I said, the the mobile robots and things like that. So Uh I'm, you know, optimistic about the the next phase, but I think we've got a long way to go. And, you know, some of the barriers at the very beginning, you know, having your data in order and having systems that talk to each other, they seem um, basic, but without that, I don't think you can really implement the more sophisticated solutions.
0: That's perfect. And so with that, we have 60 seconds left. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to leave you with one question. So with all of this, which has been phenomenally enlightening, what do these trends mean for the location and building design for logistics properties on a go-forward basis?
1: Yeah. So we already talked about the importance of being close to end consumers. And that's, you know, that's about getting inventory as quickly as possible onto people's doorsteps. So location is paramount. But the other way to kind of build some resilience into your system is to have transparency and efficiency in your building design. So the earlier stages of the supply chain before you get to that last touch can be crucial. So making sure you're technology enabled, um, you are in modern buildings with modern building features, and you can get goods kind of quickly through the supply chain is another crucial factor I think we'll see customers really focus on going forward.
0: That's perfect. So with that, we're going to close up. Melinda McLaughlin, Prologist. Thank you for joining us. I'm J.T. Angstrom. Have a great day.